You are listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at sungrove.org. Today we're going to talk a little bit about spiritual warfare, and what we mean by that is we're going through the book of Ephesians in the New Testament. So if you have a Bible, you're going to want to take that out. If you've got it on a digital device, you're going to want to open up to the book of Ephesians as we're talking about spiritual warfare. And the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians talk about God's big picture plan, the mystery he's had from all the ages to bring you and me together with the Jewish people into salvation for all eternity. And it's through the death of his son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. And then the second three chapters of the second half of the book really begins to talk about how you and I are and live out the body of Christ. So here's God's big picture plan. And the second half is how you and I fit in God's big picture plan. And and I don't know about you, but I'm going to take a little vacation. I have a knee surgery coming up in just over a week. But for the next week, I'm going to meet up with my uh, brothers and their families. And we're going to go fishing up in Mammoth Lakes. We've done it ever since we were little kids. And so our families get together. It's going to be a good time. How many of you enjoy trout fishing? Any trout fisher men and women in the room? All right. Well, a number of years ago, my, my nephew, he's young, and he, you know, brought a pole that he made himself, and he stuck a little, like, worm on it like that with this big old nasty hook that probably wouldn't even fit in the mouth of a trout. But he would take it, and he'd stand down there next to his dad, right by the side of the lake, and he'd just dip that thing in the water, and I'm talking about my brother, I'm like, bro, like, you're just going to let him do this? And he's like, you try to talk to him. So I go over and I talk to him. I'm like, hey, Daniel, uh, I just want to let you know, like, I don't think that that's going to catch a fish. And he's like, no, I made this pole. I'm going to catch a fish with it. <laughs> okay. You know, even throughout the week, we have, we have better fishing rods. We actually have spares. We could get you one and we could set it up for you as well. You could use yours and that. No, I'm just going to use my fishing pole because I'm gonna catch a fish. And it literally looks something like this. I mean, you know, it, it had like one of these cords that if you actually pulled up on a fish with that, it'd probably just destroy the fish, probably not fair to it all. And the only fish you're gonna catch is the sick one that's like, you know, a foot from the shore, like looking for a place to die. And maybe if you hooked it in the side, that's about it, right? It's the only fish you're gonna catch. But nope, he wasn't to be deterred. He was absolutely gonna use the fishing pole that he created, even though it was ineffective. And it began me thinking, that sometimes you and I enter a new life with Christ and we keep using the old weapons. We keep using the old ways we've lived, the old ways we learned to try to do life right, to try to have weapons in life, to try to be successful, to try to fight spiritual warfare, but we're using the old things that we're used to even though we've come to new life in Jesus Christ. And Paul begins to talk to us about this in his book and we're not much different. Like how many of you in this room, just be honest, um, you don't like updating your phone. Just be honest around the room. Yeah, yeah, you're the rebels, right? You're still swiped to unlock and, uh, and you still haven't updated in, in years. Some of you are like, just give me the one with the buttons and it makes a call and it doesn't do anything else, right? And others of you like it. Some of us, we just, we want to do the easy way to do things. We don't love new ways of working. We don't love new ways of communicating. We don't love new ways of relating. We're comfortable with what we're comfortable with and we really don't want to move into what's new because... What is new sometimes is threatening. What is new seems unfamiliar, and what is most familiar is most comfortable. And I think we do the same thing spiritually, even though spiritually we use old weapons that are totally defective, totally don't work. We use these old weapons, and God wants us to use these new weapons. 
So for you, say, what do you mean, Dave? Well, maybe for you, you're holding a grudge and it's embittering you. Maybe for some of you, you're shooting off your mouth to your boss and to your spouse and to your parents and to your coworkers, and you're likely, if you're doing that, also trolling on the internet, and you're having a good time doing that, but the truth is you're becoming ugly by your actions, and you might not even be aware of it. Maybe you're stealing from others, and in stealing from others, you're losing on the inside the ability to actually trust other people, because you realize I'm not acting trustworthy, so maybe I can't trust other people to be trustworthy on their own, and you don't realize what's happening to you. For others, you might be giving full vent to your anger. It's not appropriate anger, it's rage, it's wrath, it's full vent. There's no spirit-led self-control even when you're angry, like it's just out there, it's just gone, and it's out of control, and maybe for you, you're a chronic complainer. And if you looked at your posts on social media over the last couple months, you'd be like, I cannot believe I just complained about everything. But then you get so frustrated that your kids complain all the time. You're like, where do they get this? What are they teaching them in school? And you don't realize that maybe you're complaining about the complaining that they're modeling, that they're seeing in you. And we have old weapons. We're trying to make it through life, fight through life, survive through life, but we're using old, ineffective weapons. It's like they're the poison that we mix up for our enemy, but we end up drinking ourselves. And Paul says there's a better way. Paul says the spirit of God has renewed us and that the church is going to look much different. He has new, God does, has new and better weapons in mind for you and for me. Will you watch this video? The second half of the letter begins with Paul shifting gears, and he starts challenging the reader to respond to the gospel story by how they live their own life story. So he starts in chapter 4 with just the everyday life of the church. The church is a big family with lots of different kinds of people, but he emphasizes that they are one, and one is a key word in this chapter. They are one body that's unified by one spirit. They have one Lord with one faith. They have one baptism. They believe in one God. That's a lot of unity. However, Paul says unity is not the same thing as uniformity. He goes on to explore how Jesus' new family consists of lots of very, very different kinds of people, but they're all empowered by the one Holy Spirit, each using their unique talents and passions to serve and to love each other and to build up the church. And here he uses two really cool metaphors. One is building up the church as a new temple. And the second is that they are all becoming a new humanity with Jesus as the head. And this new humanity is a metaphor he's going to then run with for the next couple chapters. Paul challenges every Christian to take off their old humanity, like a set of old clothes, and to put on their new humanity in which the image of God is being restored. And he then goes on into this long section where he compares this new and old humanity. So instead of lying, new humans speak truth. Instead of harboring anger, they peacefully resolve their conflicts. Instead of stealing, new humans are generous. Instead of gossiping, they encourage people with their words. Instead of getting revenge, new humans forgive. Instead of gratifying every sexual impulse, new humans cultivate self-control of their bodily desires. Instead of getting drunk, new humans come under the influence of God's spirit. We're going to look at that actual chapter right now. It's 32 verses. I'll pause and talk a little bit about some of it, but I really want to look at the scriptures here together today as we unpack Ephesians chapter 4, beginning with verse 1. He says, as a prisoner for the Lord, right? Paul's writing from prison. I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. What does that look like? 
Verse two, be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. And there's one body and one spirit, just as you were called the one hope when you were called one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. What's his point? Don't be disunified. Don't divide. Don't divide into two what God is making one. There's one Lord, one baptism. And so often in churches, it's really easy to say, well, I don't agree with this or I don't agree with that. And what you're really doing is breaking down the one. What God has called to be one, you're trying to divide and make into two. And God is calling you in your spirit as a new human to understand that the role of the church is to be united so he said this, verse 11, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to do all the work. Is that what it says? No, not to do all the work. It's to build and equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. And we live in a, we live in a consumer society and so often we can look at the church as, well, the professional Christians are to do the work and then we're to observe it and enjoy it and contribute to it. And, and that's not really what happens. Like you're not outsourcing to us to work in the lives of your kids. What happens is we're coming alongside you, you who have more time, more influence and helping you be a new human, a new creation in Christ with your kids. It's gonna have a far greater impact than just if the church was gonna try to do it on their own right? We're to have all of us have different parts and to use those parts and to build up this one body. He says this, to equip the people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the, full, the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we'll no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth, help me out here, in what? In love, good. We will grow to become in every aspect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Okay, let me pause right there. Uh, in just over a week, I'm gonna have surgery on my knee. I tore my ACL, I have a knee brace on. That's why I've got a pudgy knee here is because I got a knee brace on, which means I'm not experiencing a lot of pain because it's happened a little while ago, but I will experience pain after the surgery. Uh, I don't also have a lot of stability. And what is he saying? When each part of Christ's body does its role, does its work, the whole body holds together. But let me tell you something I've learned when there's a ligament or a tendon missing, when I step sideways, like I've got not much pain right now, but if I step sideways without the brace, I have no stability. I will go down in a heap of rubble like there's something missing. A part of me right now is broken, it's missing in my body. And what he's saying is this, when you and I don't live out, when we simply observe church, but we are not being the church, Part of the body under Christ the head is broken, it's missing, we need you. God has equipped us for works of service, all of us, and that's what God wants you to do. He wants to understand, here's my big picture plan. Here's the story of God throughout all of history, and now I want you to understand how you fit in the story of God. How does the story of you fit within the big story of God. And this chapter begins to unpack what that looks like for you and for me. He goes on and says this, 
So I tell you this, and I insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They're darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they're full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life that you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. And you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its sinful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood, speak truthfully to your neighbor, for all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who's been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. And do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up instead of tearing them down, right? Like our culture tears down people all the time. But to learn to build others up with our words according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And then he says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, every form of malice. Those are old weapons, right? Those are the old things we used to use to try to defend ourselves and, and make ourselves right and to get ahead in life. He's saying, put down those old weapons. And then he says, verse 32, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. He gives us new weapons. How are we now to live as compared to our old weapons? So we're to put down the old weapons. We're to take up new weapons and our new self. So what does, again, a new human look like? You saw this on the video, but let's walk through it together a little bit. If you're taking notes today, write this down. We're to take off lies and we're to put on truth. So we're to speak the truth to one another. Now this means if you have lied that you're gonna come before the Lord and you're gonna say, God, I'm gonna turn back, I'm gonna course correct, I'm gonna begin to use my words to speak what is true. Second, instead of being angry all the time, we're to work toward peace. We lay down anger and we put on peace. Instead of theft, we begin to pick up generosity. We lay down stealing and we earn an honest income. Did you catch why we earn an honest income? The scriptures say that so that you have something to share with those in need. So when we earn an honest income, we honor God with the first of our wealth, and then we also can, above and beyond that, share with people who are in need. But when you're stealing, you're only thinking of yourself. It doesn't matter if you're stealing from the man, if you're stealing from your spouse, if you're stealing from, you know, somewhere else. He's saying, we put that down. That's not the way to get ahead. New humans in Christ, they earn an honest wage. Why? So they have something to share with those in need, just like God shared with us who were in need. Next, we lay down gossiping and we pick up encouragement. So we build one another up with our words. We lay down revenge and we pick up forgiveness. We'll talk about that in a little bit. We lay down promiscuity and we begin to pick up Holy Spirit-led self-control. And we lay down being under the influence or drunk, right? And we pick up being controlled by God's Spirit. 
So I want you to understand that he's saying new humans live in new ways because we've got the power of God's Holy Spirit to actually live these things. Now, you might have done any one of the things on the left-hand side, but because you have the Spirit of God and you're just being carried away to further destruction, you have the ability to course correct, to come back, to begin to live under Holy Spirit self-control, to live under truth, to live under generosity and encouragement and other things of others, right? So we're going to exchange unwholesome words and complaining and hateful, bitter conversations, divisive talk, defiant scheming with unity and encouragement and constructive feedback for the good of all. That's what the church ought to look like. It's why the church looks so different than the world. And we're to speak the truth in love. Have you ever seen people who proclaim to be Christians and they're out picketing something and they got a big you know, sign and it's basically sitting in judgment on the culture. Now what their sign says might or might not be true, but are they doing it in love? Is it possible to speak what is true but do it in a way that's not loving? Is that possible? Absolutely, right? It's totally possible for you and I to say something where you are right or you are correct, but you're not right. So write this down. You can be correct, but you still might not be right. You might be 100% correct. Your information might be all true, all correct, but you know what? In your manner, in your words, in your communication, you can still be very wrong. You can still not be right. You might be correct, but you're not right. And the Holy Spirit helps us walk in a way that builds others up to encourage them I mean, you say, well, wait a minute, what do you mean? Well, have you ever had someone come to you and say, um, do these pants make me look fat? <laughs> Listen to me. Husbands particularly, be very, very careful how you answer that question. Be very careful, right? Because it just, it's not, it's not a great question to answer. It's almost like a, a trick question, right? You could be 100% correct in your response, but still be very, very wrong. In fact, you might be very unwise. You've heard the phrase, 100% of wives live longer than the husbands who criticize them. There's a reason for that. So the wise person doesn't criticize. The wise person takes a question like that and is able to say, you're beautiful no matter what you wear. You're going to do it in a wise way because in many ways it's possible to be 100% correct but still not be right. And that's why this is important. Write this down. When your beliefs cause you to mistreat people, there's something wrong with your beliefs. When your beliefs cause you to mistreat people, whom God died for, there's something wrong with your beliefs. And this chapter is full of so many examples of the things we're laying down and we're laying down the old and effective fishing poles and he's saying, pick up something new, pick up something that's effective, pick up something that brings life that will actually work for you instead of the frustration of continuing to use something that just doesn't work. And he deals with the issue of anger. But when you and I read the scriptures in English, we don't catch the full brunt of what he's talking about when it comes to anger. Because in Greek, there are three different words for anger. 
You and I would just read anger or angry and we'd think, oh, it's all the same thing, right? But there are actually three different words. It helps us understand the scriptures better. One of the first words in Greek, and I'm not going to give you all the Greek words, but one of the first words is this anger that is a boiling, passionate, uncontrolled anger. It's the word thumos, but it, 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 what it means is it's boiling. It's, it's uncontrolled. It's without self-control. It's just that it's going to turn to wrath. And we've all experienced or seen uncontrolled anger that turns absolutely to wrath. The second one is an embittered, grudging anger. It's the slow burn. You know what I'm talking about? It's just slowly building that bitterness, that anger. You're just, you can feel it percolating. It's just slowly building. And where he uses that word is he uses it in the second half of verse 26. It says, and do not let the sun go down on your anger. So don't let the sun go down while you're still slowly burning, while that embitterness is happening on the inside. He's saying, he's saying, don't let that continue. Don't let days go by, because what happens if, it, if it's slowly percolating, where's it eventually gonna end? It's gonna boil, it's gonna explode, it's gonna turn to wrath, right? So don't let that boiling, slow anger continue. Deal with it. Walk toward forgiveness. Build one another up. Call time out. If you're in a relationship, the person who sees themselves as the most mature is the first one to take a step toward reconciliation. It's the humble thing to do. It's working toward unity. But there's a last word for anger, and he uses that in the first half of chapter 4, verse 26. He says, in your anger, do not sin. And when really, literally in the Greek, it says, be angry, but don't sin. That there is appropriate anger, right? You ever felt justice for something? You ever felt like a righteous defense for those who don't have a voice? You ever felt that? Absolutely. There, there is a human emotion called anger, and it's not sin yet. There is a righteous anger. But that anger can burn over. That anger can lose self-control, and then it becomes sin. So let me just do it this way. See, it's appropriate to have appropriate anger when it's combined with self-control. But what happens? I've seen things in other countries where, let's say a person, a thief has come, and the thief uh, is, steals from a store. They're trying to rob a motorcycle or take it, and, and the, the crowd catches them. And it is righteous anger that gets them to stop the thief from stealing what is stolen. But so often that crowd mentality turns into vengeance and murder at times because the crowd takes justice into its own hands and beats a person sometimes to death. What happened? There was a righteous anger, but it went all the way to wrath. So anger can be very different, can it? So what's appropriate anger for the Christian? It is to have Holy Spirit-controlled anger. And when we begin to feel ourselves slow burning, he's saying, listen, because we know where that leads. So as a believer, as a new human, you and I have God's Holy Spirit where we have the ability to keep anger within the realm of self-control and keep it appropriate in that area. See, when saved people use the weapons of lost people, God grieves. 
His Holy Spirit actually grieves is what the scriptures tell us. And, and we want to say, why is he grieving? Well, he's grieving because you're not responding to him. You and I are shutting him down. We're saying, I believe that this old way of doing life is better. And so I'm going to give full vent to my anger. I'm going to steal. I'm going to do the things that are lying and wrong because I think it's going to help me get ahead differently. And so what do we do? We quench God's Holy Spirit. And he grieves because he knows that these these don't lead us to life. These lead us to death. You're going to starve using that fishing pole. He wants you and I to come to life. What happens when you mix anger with sin? It's one thing to sin, right? But let's go back to that list. Flip over on your outline for just a minute. Let's go back to that list for a moment. What happens when you lie, but then you mix anger with lying? Well, that takes it up a notch, doesn't it? Now you're lying on purpose. You're lying to get revenge. You're not just lying to protect yourself. You're actually lying because you want to damage somebody. It turns to other things, malice, gossip, all those sort of things. What happens when you add anger to theft? Now you get a lot of violent crime, right? It's not just stealing. Now it's actually violent stealing. What happens when you add anger to gossip? Instead of just telling what you think and just, you know, talk being talk, and you just think you're gossiping a little, now you're actually creating slander and malice and stories because you're so angry at the person you were gossiping about. What happens when you and I mix anger with sin? What happens when you take promiscuity instead of just indulging your flesh and doing whatever you want, but what happens when you add anger to that? Now you're violently taking from someone else, sinning against them in a way that is not proper for God's holy people. What happens when we take anger and we mix it with any other sin? What happens when you take anger and you mix it with alcohol? You become an angry drunk. What happens when you mix anger with your buzz? What happens when you mix anger with your high? Again, he's saying, listen, anger of all the things we could talk about today combines closely with something that I want to talk with you about today more. And that is, instead of anger and revenge, I want to talk with you about forgiveness. Forgiveness. God grieves. When does the Holy Spirit grieve? Let me write this, have you write this down. When there is ongoing resistance to his work in you. Ongoing resistance. God is leading you in your heart. He's whispering to you, but you are shutting him down. And you're saying, I choose to be in control of my life. And I'm going to go use my old weapons. You pick up the old weapons instead of the new ones that you have as a believer in Christ. Next, he grieves when you've been forgiven, but you refuse to forgive. See, a lot of people don't want this verse in the Bible. Verse 32, a lot of people are great with all of Ephesians chapter four, but they get down to verse 32 and they wish it wasn't in the Bible because it makes life a lot easier. And this is what verse 32 says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. So what does it mean? It means I've been forgiven of everything. So I don't actually have the right not to forgive for what's been done to me. Now I know when I say that, it does something in our heart because we live in a culture that says I choose to forgive or not to. In fact, someone else has to earn my forgiveness or I'll forgive when I finally feel like it. 
I'm just going to let you know something. If you're waiting to forgive until you feel like it, you will wait your whole life and never get there. Because who feels like it? Who feels like forgiving? We know we should. We kind of want to. We, we think it might help us. But that's not what often happens. We say, my old weapons work better. Forgiveness is too hard. And again, you go back and you reach and you say, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to grab this and I'm going to not forgive somebody. So I'm going to whip this thing out there and I'm going to put them on the hook. And what happens is really you miss them and you get the hook in your own kidney. And so what happens is you're saying, I'm not going to forgive you. And you think that if you forgive, you're letting them off the hook. Let me tell you something. When you and I forgive, it doesn't let the person off God's it lets you off your own hook of bitterness that you can't see is hurting you so bad. You can't see how unforgiveness causes you to not risk loving. You don't see how unforgiveness becomes a, a poison in you. You're intending to mix it up for your enemy, but you're drinking it yourself. And, and Paul is coming along and God says to us, we've been forgiven of everything. So we take this and we take it out of our own back and we become free. And when I say free, you say, well, what happens? What do you mean free? How do you become free through forgiveness? Because it just pretty much sounds like I lose and they win. But here's what happens. Again, they're not off God's hook. But what happens is forgiveness releases the power that they have over you. When you think of unforgiveness, that person, whoever you're not forgiving, they have power over you. And they could even be dead. They might not even be living. But as long as you refuse to extend the forgiveness you've received from God to someone else, what happens is that person always has power over you every time you think of them, every time you think of what they did to you. And I'm not minimizing because what they did was wrong, but I'm saying every single time they have power over you. And you say, well, someday, maybe enough time will go by or not, you know, then finally I'll get around to it. And guess what? Your feelings don't change. There's a bitterness that happens. Listen, let me tell you something. Forgiveness is appropriate when we realize what long-term unforgiveness does to us. You say, it seems like the last option. No, the last option is just keep not forgiving and realize what it does to you. You will forever be under the power of that person. You will forever be under the hook and the pain of your own unforgiveness. And God says, forgive, and you say, how? You say, I can't, and if you came to my office and you told me, you say, Dave, I cannot forgive, I would say, you know what, you're right, you can't, you can't. But God's Holy Spirit in you can, and he wants to, and it's not a one-time decision. Some of you have tried, oh, I forgave them. And one time you're like, okay, I just forgive them, and that's it, but every time you think of them, they still have power over you. You know what that tells me? You haven't forgiven them. You made a one-time decision, but you've not walked the process of forgiveness. What does the process of forgiveness look like? The process of forgiveness is this. Pro forgiveness is initially an act of the will. In other words, I don't feel like it. I don't think I can do it, but I'm going to make an act of my will. God, I choose to forgive that person. And that's like the engine of the train. And the engine of the train just started, kind of rumbles, comes to life. And it starts just, the wheel starts slowly turning. It starts to move. And you're right here. And the engine just started. And the next time that you feel bad about what's happened and you say, God, again, I, I don't think I can do this, but I choose to forgive them. And the engine just moves a little more. And next time, and it might be 10 minutes later, 
God, I choose to forgive them again. And the engine starts moving. And guess what? You've got the engine moving because of an act of will, not because you feel like it. You know what your feelings are? They're the caboose. And it's way down the line. There's a lot of cars that got to go by. But what happens is when you and I forgive and walk forgiveness again and again, and we cancel the debts against us, which are legitimate, painful debts, we choose to cancel them against someone else because God canceled ours against him. That engine starts moving, and guess what happens over time? Your feelings catch up. And you know when your feelings have caught up because suddenly the person doesn't have power over you any longer. In fact, you actually have room in your emotions to actually have compassion for how sin has captured that person. You have pity for the condition of their life because of the bondage of sin. But you can't get there until you get that engine moving. What did Jesus say on the cross? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. What was he doing? He was saying, I have compassion on them. They don't know my big picture plan and how they could fit into it. They don't know they're killing God and that I'm dying right now for their sins too. We release the power. I remember I was under a manager another job years back and this manager was just brutal and did a lot of things that were just so awful. And I just remember, I, I gotta work to forgive this person because every time I think of them, I get so angry, I get so mad and, and I'm justified, but I'm, I realized this bitterness is killing me. And so I had to learn, how do I forgive? How do you do that? And what I wanna do, and I want you to write this down, how do you start with forgiveness? It's this, you make a you owe me list. You owe me list. So you literally write things down. You're gonna say, here's me, and you're gonna say, here's the person, and you're gonna say, you owe me. So you might say this, you owe me love, but you ignored me all the time that I was growing up. You owed me protection, but instead you allowed violence or committed violence against me. You owed me this, but you did that. You owed me money in our business, but you cheated me out of whatever. And you go to the full depth of the pain and the emotion of what they did. You don't minimize it. Don't just sum it up. Actually go to what you feel. So you're going to create a you owe me. On this side is all the things you owe me. And then you begin to work forgiveness through that list. Here's how it happens. You go to the you owe me part and you go, you owe me this, but, and now here's the act of the will. I choose to forgive you of that for, and you go there. I choose to forgive this person for, and you write down all what you're choosing to forgive them for, and the act of the will starts. Why? Because Christ forgave you. Because Christ forgave you. And so you write down all the things that they owe you. And there's a lot. And it's taken that inventory of your life and your pains and your experiences. But as you begin to walk through those hurts, you begin to realize I've been trying to compensate with those hurts with habits that don't work. I've been reaching for old weapons and it's been killing me and that person still has power over me. So you begin to walk through. Do you know what? You'll have to walk through that list time and time again. But when you begin to sense that the power of their action against you has been covered by forgiveness, you start crossing that out. And guess what? There's a lot of people who owe you a lot of things. But wow, the freedom of not carrying that through life, the freedom of being free from the power that they have over you, what a beautiful experience. And that's how God has called us. Instead of giving revenge or vengeance, it, instead of giving revenge, to offer 
forgiveness. And again, it will never happen if we're waiting for our feelings to catch up. Listen, what will happen to me if I don't? If I don't forgive, what will happen to me? Rage, mistrust, anger, slander, malice, bitterness, all those things will grow in you and they won't work for you. They work against you. So what's the choice? When you realize just how bad unforgiveness is, forgiveness looks like a pretty decent alternative. And that's what God is calling new humans to in Jesus Christ. He initiated it. He didn't demand it of us. And once we forgave a bunch of people, then he accepted us. He said, no, while you were my enemy, I canceled your debt. That's how much I love you. And that's why when we put our faith and trust in what Jesus did on the cross, it forgives us of our sins because he initiated canceling our debt. But he offers us forgiveness as a free gift. We have to receive it. We have to embrace it. We have to give faith to what Jesus did on the cross, canceling out our sin against Almighty God. And that is good, good news. So God is calling you and me to lay down our old ineffective weapons. He's calling you to pick up new weapons. Today we've talked about controlled anger and we've talked about forgiveness. And by the powerful help of God's Holy Spirit that he's put inside of us, we can arm ourselves for spiritual battle. Here's your decision and prayer point. For some of you, you're writing down, I choose to forgive someone for what they did. And you're gonna have to take that and make a whole list out of it but this is the beginning point. And I believe that God wants to break some strongholds today. What's a stronghold? It's like the strong person holding you. And God's saying, how about we release you from that grip? And maybe today is a beginning point where you're experiencing freedom. But for some of you in this room, you've never received the forgiveness of Jesus. So how are you ever to forgive someone else if you haven't yourself first received forgiveness for your sin. With your heads bowed, your eyes closed, just think about your own life. I want you just to ask, have I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ and received his forgiveness in my heart to wash me as white as snow? And if that's you today, you pray something like this, Jesus, today I give you me. I believe you died on the cross for my sin, that you were buried in the grave and you rose to new life. I ask you to forgive me of all my sin and wash me as white as snow because today, Jesus, I give you me. And right now, if you prayed that prayer anywhere in the room, will you raise your hand? Awesome, right here, right over there. Greatest decision, right here, right in there. Greatest decision you could ever make. You might be in the loft, you raise your hand, I see your hand up there, awesome. Greatest decision you could ever make, right over here on the end. And believers in the room, today's your day where you decide, are you willing to make an act of the will even though you don't feel like it? And today, this is your moment. This is that time for you believers to begin to get the engine moving. Pick up a new weapon, pick up new life, walk away from the bondage of unforgiveness. God, we're thankful for you. We thank you for what you've done in our lives, for being the initiator. We celebrate new life. God, we're so grateful for you. We praise you. We give you all the praise, the honor, the glory. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Let us quench him no more. In Jesus' name and together we pray. Amen. Amen. We give it up for what God's doing in and through and among us. Thank you for listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For information on Sun Grove Church, visit our website at sungrove.org.